This is Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Thank you for joining us for part two of this special candidate conversation series here on Education Matters. I'm your host, Katie Olmstead, part of the communications team for the Ohio Education Association and its 120,000 members. These members, K-12 teachers, education support professionals, and higher ed faculty members, know how important it is to have a governor who cares about public education. So many of those decisions in Columbus impact so much of what happens in our classrooms every day. That's why OEA has invited all of the declared candidates for governor, Republicans and Democrats alike, to share their views on the issues that matter most to our educators. The two Democrats in the race accepted our invitations and answered members' questions at a recent member activist forum. Last week, we heard from former Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley. Now, we're hearing from John Cranley, too. The two-term Cincinnati mayor sat down with OEA President Scott DeMauro, who was moderating the Q&A. Let's take a listen. Big picture, Ohio needs a comeback. For decades, one party, the Republican Party, has been corrupt, and their values and their policies have failed. Their values are not to embrace diversity and inclusion, but to attack the other and find socially divisive policies. Their economic policies are to raise taxes on the middle class, nickeling and diming the working class to help give tax breaks to the richest in Ohio. Their trickle-down values and policies have failed. Cincinnati is the only major city in Ohio to ever make a comeback. Columbus is growing, doing very well, but it was never in decline. But historic Ohio, all parts of Ohio outside of Columbus, including my city, have been in decline since the 1950s until now. In the last census, Cincinnati grew twice as fast as the state of Ohio, reduced poverty one and a half times faster than the state of Ohio. We have more Black-owned businesses that make a half a million a year than any city in Ohio on a per capita basis, the most in America. And we were one of the only major cities in America where crime was down. In short, if Ohio needs a comeback, and I believe it does, we deserve a governor that has led a comeback. Mike DeWine has led to our deteriorations. I've helped lead Cincinnati's comeback, and we can come back for Ohio. My background, as was mentioned, commitment to public service, social justice. As a co-founder of the Ohio Innocence Project, we exonerated 34 people from prison using DNA evidence. Criminal justice is an important issue for our party and for me because it's personal for me. Some of these people that I helped to free are my friends. I know what prison does to people. And overcoming the odds of getting somebody out of prison is difficult. Turning Cincinnati around from a history of racism where we had multiple killings of unarmed black men by our police led to the first rioting post Rodney King in America, boycotted by the NAACP and the Urban League. Cincinnati's comeback is based on our values of trying to treat citizens more fairly and prioritizing racial justice. Between 2001 and 2021, shootings went down 75% in Cincinnati, but arrests also went down 50% annually. So we have made our city safer by arresting fewer people, putting criminal justice reform, community-oriented policing into practice. 21 years ago, the very famous civil rights activist, the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss Jr., 
called for a boycott against my city. He said, don't spend money in Cincinnati. It's too racist. Today, he has endorsed my campaign for governor. That's an incredible transformation. But that's not all. In addition to that, we passed the only $15 living wage in the state of Ohio. We built the largest solar farm ever built by a city in America. 750 football fields worth of solar. City government is carbon neutral. We also expanded preschool to all Cincinnati public school kids two years and doubled our public transportation budget. Leadership matters. Results matter. Over time, now Cincinnati is the average wage is going up faster than the state. Poverty is going down faster than the state. The middle class is getting bigger. You know, the Republicans love to quote Reagan. Are you better off today than you were when the other guy took over? Well, the average Cincinnatian is better off since I became mayor. And the average Ohioan is worse off since Mike DeWine, the Republicans, took over our state. And so Teresa Fetter and I, one of the greatest champions of public education in the state, have a plan to rebuild Ohio and to get it to grow again. Research and development at our state universities and hospitals. Guaranteed 30,000 jobs will be created every year that pay $60,000 to build the infrastructure like broadband that we need for education, for remote work, for life. We're going to pay for those jobs by legalizing marijuana, taxing it, and putting the taxes into those jobs. And I'm going to create the first ever basic income dividend of $500 from natural gas like they have in Alaska, Republican Alaska, like they have in North Dakota, Republican North Dakota. And the Republicans passed HB6, which raised our monthly energy bills to bail out First Energy. I'm going to give you a dividend. They raise your monthly bill. I'm going to give you $500 a year. Which is better for you and your family? We need clear, consistent messaging to beat the Republicans. They want to keep marijuana crime. I want it to be a business. They want to raise your utility bills. I want to give you a dividend. They talk about broadband. I promise to deliver it in four years. This is an agenda that unites our party and reaches out specifically to those voters who voted for Obama and Trump. Now, I know as I finish up and start to take your questions, which I look forward to, that no matter what I say, people will question whether or not a Democrat can win and Ohio could have a brighter future. But I know we can because I know that innocent people can be freed. And I know that cities that were written off as hopelessly racist can have an inclusive, brighter future. Thank you, John. So my first question, and it's kind of a two-part question, um, Stacy Recker, who is one of our members and leaders from Southwest Ohio, lives in Cincinnati. She suggested the question of how do you balance incentives for business with the need for ongoing financial support for public education? Of course, the big Intel deal uh, comes to mind right away as, as we have this conversation. And of course, we're at the local level, we're always, you know, in the middle of uh, debates about tax abatements and things like that that are, you know, giveaways to, to corporations with the promise of, of jobs and somehow that, that, you know, the idea that that's going to provide some uh, growth and opportunities for education moving forward. And then I guess if in addition to that, you talk more broadly about what your approach to school funding would be. Uh, where you are in the fair school funding plan that was adopted as part of the state budget formula last year, and, and then how we fully and fairly fund our schools uh, moving forward. Thanks. So first of all, in Cincinnati, I'm proud to say that we hold the school board harmless. We, in fact, have a 
uh, a separate deal with them that requires developers, whenever tax abatements are given, that they hold the school board harmless as if there was no tax abatement at all. I'm very proud of that. Secondly, while Intel sounds great, and it is great, I mean, we, who doesn't want those jobs to come to Ohio? It's a losing strategy to think that corporate welfare is going to solve all of our problems. And of course, those jobs are going to the fastest growing part of our state in Columbus and leaving behind the parts of our state that have been most left behind. And we're going to run out of money to provide corporate welfare. The only long-term solution is to invest in education and to embrace diversity and inclusion and to attract people to want to live and stay in Ohio. That's what we've done in Cincinnati. We didn't just do corporate welfare. What we did is invest in education, preschool, public transit, clean energy, higher wages, prioritize diversity and inclusion. And guess what? More people want to live in Cincinnati. More people want to invest in Cincinnati. Our policies work. The Republican policies of trickle down and corporate welfare have failed us again and again and again. I'm a supporter of the, the constitutional plan that has been 25 years in the waiting to fully fund public education in Ohio. Teresa Fetter is a champion of this, and we are committed to getting the extra one and a half billion that is called for in the bipartisan Patterson plan uh, that was passed recently in our budget. In fact, what Teresa and I are going to do is to front load the education budget first, because on a zero sum game of dollars, I want the fully funded public education 12 through K through 12 first, and then we can debate about how to spend the rest of the money. But we will fully fund it upfront, just like they do the capital budget separately, just like they do workers' comp separately. We will, in our first 100 days, advance a fully funded constitutional public education bill. Second, I called for the Lottery Commission to run sports betting precisely because under the Constitution, all dollars must go through public K-12 education. Instead, they openly gave it to the Casino Commission because they wanted to divert funds to private charter schools, vouchers, whatever. In my opinion, that's bad policy. I'm against it. I oppose it. And when I'm governor, I will appoint lottery commissioners who will take control of sports betting. So all those dollars will help to increase funding. It won't solve the issue by itself, but we'll have a down payment on the need for additional uh, funding uh, to our K-12 education. Thanks. Um, and related to that, as, as a follow-up question, you're probably familiar with House Bill 290, which uh, proponents call the backpack bill. We, we know it more simply as the universal voucher bill. How would you as governor deal with legislation like that, uh, especially if we continue to have a uh, Republican control of the legislature and, and or Senator Huffman being probably the biggest advocate for school vouchers out there, certainly in the state, if not in the country. How do you, how do you stop initiatives like that from, from moving Well, forward? of course, I would veto it uh, immediately, number one. Number two is I would uh, galvanize the supporters of public education across the state, uh, working with you, working with the OEA, working with the OFT and others. The fact is that many of these Republicans represent parts of the state that don't have any alternatives to the public education. They don't really want this to come into play. And but we've got to galvanize people to take it to the people uh, in, in a never ending public uh, campaign. Three, um, fair districts. 
you know, the most important thing, and, and so far it looks like Maureen O'Connor and the three Democrats on the Supreme Court are helping to achieve this, to get the legislature below a veto-proof majority. Because I can veto and veto and veto these bills, but we've got to get House and Senate Democrats elected so that they don't have a veto-proof majority. And thank God the Supreme Court is following uh, the Constitution and striking down these maps to get us closer to that. So next question uh, is a question that uh, comes from Angela Stewart, who is uh, OEA member and, and leader from uh, Reynoldsburg. Again, along the same lines, dealing with extremist policies uh, in the legislature. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on some of the attacks on honesty and education? Uh, bills like House Bill 327 uh, that would impose educational gag orders, limit uh, educators, freedom to teach and students freedom to learn a uh, complete education. And we see it happening, not just here in Ohio, but, but you know, bills like this and book bans and, and things like that, um, you know, across the country. How do, how do we stop that? And, and what would you do to lead the fight against those kinds of initiatives? I will oppose crazy efforts to attack academic freedom and the need to teach diverse perspectives in school. I have reviewed your triangle message, which I think is really good on this topic, that of course, we're not teaching kids to be ashamed of themselves. Our teachers are educating our kids, no matter what their background, to be proud of their history. CRT isn't taught in K through 12, and it's just a lie. But here's what I'm interested in, and this is where I intend to take the fight. The proponents of these bills are saying, we don't want this theory or that theory taught. They want the facts taught. I agree with that. Let's teach the facts. The first fact I want to know is who won the 2020 election, because the people who are pushing these bills can't even tell you the fact that Joe Biden won the 2020 election. They want to reteach revisionist history of the civil rights movement, and they can't even admit that Donald Trump lost the election. These people have no credibility. I say, let's teach facts. Let's teach history. Let's start with who won the 2020 election. If we can agree on that, let's go back a year and then back a year and we can have a open and honest discussion. But here's the point. I love America. I'm a proud American. And we're the only country in the world that is founded on ideals that we've never lived up to. But over time, we've gotten closer to the ideals. There's been starts and stops and for, one step forward, one step back, but then three steps forward. That's what gives me pride is overcoming the history that our founders knew that they themselves were hypocrites on slavery, but they aspired that our country would be better. Just like we want our kids to be better than us. I want my son to be a better man than I am. That's the dream of positivity, of optimism, of the future of America. And we have to teach that history, honestly. Thanks, John. This is the, well, we just passed the 10th anniversary of the Senate Bill 5 fight. And uh, of course, 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, we were uh, we saw Governor Kasich lead the effort to try to uh, eliminate our collective bargaining rights here in the state of Ohio. Of course, we all joined forces and, and collected 1.2 million signatures, and, and we went took the fight directly to the people, and, and we have uh, preserved collective bargaining for public employees in Ohio. But we continue to see attacks, and as time goes by, concerned about more extremist forces in the, in the legislature coming coming after us again on collective bargaining. What would you do to uh, help ensure uh, collective bargaining is protected moving forward if you're governor of Ohio? 
I'm very proud pro-union Democrat. I always have been. I'm proud that Teresa and I have been endorsed by the firefighters who work for me. And I think it's easy to talk about being pro-labor, but the question is, what about the labor unions that work for you? The firefighters work for me. The uh, Renita Jones Street, the local head of uh, AFSCME Council 8, she has personally endorsed uh, my campaign. AFSCME, of course, and the firefighters were the two largest bargaining units that worked for me when I was mayor. And they stand strongly behind my campaign and my record of standing up for union rights. In addition, I wrote the first and only local prevailing wage law in the state of Ohio to help close loopholes when developers go around prevailing wage. I've wrote and passed the only $15 living wage in the state that applies to all city workers and anyone who contracts with the city. I helped lead the effort to not only double our public transportation budget in Hamilton County, the first ever to succeed in Hamilton County, but in that included a $30 million expansion of road and bridge improvements that our operating engineers, our laborers, our carpenters, uh, our pipe fitters, et cetera, all supported uh, because it brings good paying union jobs. My promise in this campaign is to create 30,000 jobs each year that pay 60,000. These are union prevailing wage jobs that will build broadband across the state, clean water projects predominantly by laborers to help uh, get rid of lead pipes, to fix sewer overflow issues, to fix roads and bridges. These are union jobs that I want the state to catalyze that pay 60,000 a year, a middle-class salary. Shifting gears a little bit, although not completely unrelated. Uh, we have similar questions from Dwayne Marshall, who is a social studies teacher and great leader from Gahanna uh, here in Franklin County. And then also John Hermiller, my former colleague in the math department, I taught social studies, he was teaching math, uh, Worthington Kilborn High School, uh, both asking about, you know, what do we do about the shortage of educators? Uh, we see, and, it, and it, it's an issue that was exacerbated by the pandemic, but something that was, was building up for a long time. Uh, fewer people choosing to go into education as a profession, more people saying that they are thinking about leaving early, feeling burnt out, and by the way, we're not just talking about teachers. We're also thinking about bus drivers and cafeteria workers and other people who perform important roles in our schools. What would you do to work with us to address uh, the issue of educator shortages and, and to really build up a pipeline of caring, qualified, committed people going into education? We got to pay teachers more. Um, I mean, that's really the simplistic but actual truthful answer. And I, and I don't just say this uh, in the abstract. Again, go to the unions that work for me. Firefighters, AFSCME. When I became mayor, they hadn't had a pay raise in five years. Over the course of my time as mayor, their pay went up over 30% from where it started. And I believe that there are many reasons why Cincinnati is making a comeback. I think racial uh, justice, um, investing in wages and clean energy and public transit and the environment, but it's also because we took care of the people who take care of our city. We invested in our firefighters. We invested in our municipal workers. And that improved morale, improved quality of service, and is a, is a positive, virtuous uh, circle. I believe education is a key issue, and I believe that, uh, that educators need to be paid appropriately for the hard work that they do. Thank you. One issue, back on the issue of vouchers and, and funding, uh, we know that uh, there is a lawsuit that's pending uh, currently challenging the constitutionality of, of the voucher system. 
Katie Hauer asks, uh, will you help encourage the Cincinnati Board of Education to join that lawsuit uh, against the state's voucher system? Absolutely, of course. Um, I'm, I oppose vouchers. Uh, public education should be public education. And uh, I oppose all efforts to expand vouchers or charter schools or anything like it. In fact, what I want to do is, is outlaw for-profit charter schools completely. I think they have no business. For-profits have no business in education. One hot topic, uh, a little bit different front. Uh, there is uh, legislation that's pending right now in the General Assembly, House Bill 99, that would uh, essentially gut training requirements for educators who are authorized to carry weapons as part of uh, school safety plans. Where are you on that legislation and what more broadly is your position on uh, the issue of arming teachers and other school employees as a means of providing for school safety? We need less guns in schools, not more. Uh, I, I mean, this is just crazy. Um, you know, Mike DeWine signed permitless carry that the FOP and the police chiefs opposed, said it would get cops killed, firefighters killed. These folks have really lost credibility with the mainstream. They are, in my opinion, open season on cops and firefighters, and they are going to lead to more killings and more shootings. I will be a governor that stands up for common sense, gun safety. And of course, there should be uh, training for anyone who takes a gun into a classroom. Having said that, as mayor, I didn't just advocate these positions. I took action. I led and started a gun buying consortium across the country because we buy a lot of guns as cities for our police to use our consumer buying power to invest in SMAPE, to get the gun companies to invest in smart gun technology. There have been companies who wanted to do smart guns, which is the idea that your gun will lock up if you don't use it. If I leave my phone at a restaurant, it'll lock up, nobody can use it. But if you leave a gun, someone can go and commit a suicide, a murder, an inner city violence. In fact, most of the violence comes from those kinds of lost or stolen guns. We need smart gun options. The NRA has boycotted any company to even invest in the research of smart gun technology. My gun buying consortium is pulling resources together of cities. And as governor, the state will join this effort for the guns that we purchase for the highway patrol, et cetera, to put pressure on the industry to invest in smarter technologies and to improve their distribution methods to make sure people don't get guns without background checks, uh, et cetera. Thanks, John. Uh, I think we have time for maybe two more questions uh, before we wrap up. One is a hot topic right now, and that is the redistricting commission. Uh, the governor uh, serves on the uh, redistricting commission, and depending on whether they can pass a, a tenure map or not, whoever's elected governor uh, this year may very well be back at that table uh, involved in the map drawing uh, process. Uh, four years from now. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your your thoughts on, on the whole redistricting fight that's going on right now? And as governor, how would you approach uh, the role and how, how might that be different than, than Governor DeWine's approach to his role on the redistricting commission? Look, Mike DeWine admitted after the first maps were that he voted for, he said, these aren't constitutional maps. He took an oath to uphold the constitution. The guy is so corrupted that he openly admits that he breaks his oath to the Ohio Constitution. 
I don't do that. I make very clear and precise promises, and I promise I'll follow the Constitution. And the Constitution says that we should not have political gerrymandering and that the General Assembly and the congressional maps should generally reflect the clear voting preferences of the people of Ohio over the last 10 years. So I will help lead in a bipartisan fashion the maps that the Constitution calls for. Last question. The, the governor is responsible, or at least currently, has the authority to appoint eight uh, of the 19 members of the State Board of Education. Talk about how you would go about determining qualifications for people to serve on the State Board of Education and uh, any thoughts on how Governor DeWine has, has approached that responsibility through his time in office? You know, Dick Celeste, the Democrat, the only Democrat to get two terms since World War II, ran in 1982 on a promise to fire the utility commissioners because they had a scandal like we have a scandal now. I have made the same promise that I will fire the utility commissioners uh, the night I'm sworn in as governor who gave us HB6 and replace them with public utility commissioners. I'm the only candidate in this race, Democrat or Republican, that has promised to do that. And I've repeatedly asked DeWine and my other opponents to match me in firing the utility commissioners. They have refused. The day that Mike DeWine fired his school board uh, appointees uh, for being against racism, I called him out. I think I was the only candidate to call him out that day to say, you won't fire the utility commissioners that gave us the worst corruption bribery scandal in the history of our state, but you will fire your own appointees, because they oppose racism. This just tells you everything you know about his values, which are deeply corrupted. So I will stand up for academic freedom, and I will stand up for uh, members of the board who have the expertise and the experience and the interest in public education to make sure that we have the best possible public education in the state. Thank you, John. So uh, in the last minute, any parting thoughts? Look, we got to win. Uh, Teresa Fetter and I uh, have received twice as many votes in our careers as our primary opponents. We've had to win over Republicans and independents. Uh, the areas we represent are much larger, but most importantly, we've gotten results. Cincinnati is the only comeback story in the state of Ohio where wages are up, the middle class is up, poverty's down, shootings are down. And that stands in sharp contrast to what the Republicans have done to the average Ohioans' quality of life. If we're going to win, we need somebody with the track record of success and fresh ideas, guaranteed jobs, legal marijuana, a dividend that puts cash in people's pockets. These ideas don't pit moderates and conservatives and, and liberals in our party against each other. They unite our party and reach out precisely to those voters that we've lost. This is a winning message and we're a winning team. And uh, given the backpack bill and everything else that's at stake, we have to get a veto stamp. And the only way to get a veto stamp is to win this race. And Teresa Fetter and I are the best team to deliver victory for the Democrats. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mayor Cranley, for uh, taking the time uh, to be with us. Great to be with you. appreciate both you and Mayor Whaley for uh, spending some time and, and talking about your vision uh, for public education. Again, this is the second part of a two-part series you can go back to last week's episode to hear from the other Democrat in the Ohio gubernatorial race. And we will continue to invite the Republicans in the race to share their views, too. OEA has not made any endorsements in the race for governor and won't until after the primaries. It's important to note that all of OEA's endorsements are made on the recommendations of our members, 
who volunteer to screen the candidates and choose the ones who will be the best on public education issues, regardless of their political party. I'm sure we'll get into that process more on a different episode as the countdown to Election Day continues. Until next time, stay well. Thank you.